Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. The guy upstairs is typically playing his piano. I'm not really, it's not coming through too much. Oh, thank Christ, because I've been having to listen to it all fucking day. <laughs> is he any good? Well, he's good, like, it's fine when he's doing the piano, but I woke up to him playing uh, the accordion, mm. which, you know, is not, it felt like Hogmanay. I, I just wasn't ready for it. It's like having someone playing the bagpipes, it's just... Of, that's right, one instrument maybe, not, maybe not what you want to hear no, fuck. all the time thank house. you thank you no <laughs> <laughs> how's the day been so far what have you been up to are you kind of stuck inside like everyone else or well I've, I'm, I normally I'm normally just a hermit I'm a bit of a recluse <laughs> so everyone's freaking out about the the lockdown and I'm I'm happy enough yeah, that's what I was saying. There's not actually too much. I think because they eased it in gradually this time, it doesn't feel like quite as much has changed. Like yeah, it's that's kind of been taken in over a six week period. Uh, it's, it just feels. I'm, tr- I'm trying my best to sort of not get too involved in the news right now. Since March, it's just been too heavy. So, like, I'll just I'll take it in, in bits. What do you kind of observe yourself then? And if you're not kind of concerned with the news all the time, do you have like stuff that you use to kind of immerse yourself and get away from it? Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll normally just work on writing projects, like short films, or I've been working a lot on uh, a feature at the moment to try and get that off the ground, or uh, music video work comes in. Like, I had a lot come through during the, the initial lockdown, where I was just sort of editing things or trying to do as much DIY lockdown type music videos for people. Because was that the the ninth wave one, and then there was two old disco ones as well. Yeah, I I, yeah. I shot one. Uh, I actually shot one for ninth wave, and uh, I kind of helped out and edited two old disco ones that they'd they'd shot themselves. So I, I didn't really direct any of those uh, ones, but I did sort of put them together for them. Does your perspective kind of shift when you're doing it and coming at it from that angle as opposed to creating it, you're kind of just, is it more like sculpting it out of what they've captured? Yeah, it's it's an odd one um, because normally 
if I if I'm actually making the video myself, everything's pre-planned and thought out, and the short list has been put down and laid down, and we're everything. I I know exactly how it's going to turn out, but with uh, when the band send you a bunch of things that they've kind of shot and just say go well basically Walt Disco just gave me the footage and said uh, go nuts <laughs> and I was just like well okay <laughs> so I didn't know I didn't know uh, what they wanted but it's a different sort of uh, approach to sort of try and like you said sculpt it and just try and make some sort of sense and uh, make it entertaining how slightly I mean for cut your hair for instance do you get sent all that footage and then you kind of map out a narrative in your mind once you've seen it before you kind of want the video to go and how you're going to assemble that or is it more just you kind of start working and getting stuck into it and then it kind of forms naturally from that I, what i'll do is i'll watch every single bit of footage try and make sense of it the band were um it looked like they were having a blast when they were shooting it on their phones but because it's not so i don't i, I think it's because it's not something that they're used to doing so it, it, that video was really difficult to put something together so I thought the best way to do it was to make it look like um, it was a found tape of like some sort of karaoke tape so that I had to put it, I put it through like video recorders and like VHS to try and give it that look because otherwise I, I don't want it to look too much like a, like it was shot on iPhones you know yeah it looks like someone straight the 80s yeah I know <laughs> well I feel like they're they've got that sort of look and that vibe, um, that sort of 80s vibe. So it kind of fit well with what they'd um, sent across. Yeah. Are you quite like that kind of aesthetic to you? Because yeah, I remember, b -b 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 what's the short film? Um, Satanic Panic, isn't it? The one where you've got the kind of exercise aerobics thing yeah. on TV as well that's got a similar kind of vibe to it. Uh, yeah, I've got, um, well, I was born in the 80s, but just at the tail end. But um, I've always had like a... I don't know, a fascination with the 80s because it was a fucking bizarre decade. <laughs> Some of the fashion sense and just the style and just the way that everything had was un unapologetically cheesy, which I found which I found hilarious, especially in retrospect. It's, it's funny how people, we always seem to have a slight affinity for the kind of period around which we were born. I think that's like, you look at the kind of music at the moment, there's a lot of 90s stuff coming back through. Yeah. Because a lot of people from then are kind of coming of age now and trying to recapture that. I don't well, know what it is though. I know I, I it's, everything gets sort of recycled. It's, there's like I think everyone it's just because I think people have a an affinity with nostalgia, you know. I grew up in the nineties, so I consider myself a nineties kid. So I, I quite I quite like that all the nineties stuff's coming back. It's got quite a cool aesthetic to it. The kind of slackery type nice thing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> when was the last time that you watched a piece of cinema that provoked like a visceral reaction within you? Fairly recently, I'd seen there was a film. There's a film called Mandy. Oh, the Nicolas Cage film. Yeah, and I was completely blown away by that. I wasn't expecting much from it because well, because it's fucking Nicolas Cage. He's a bit of hit and miss and a bit of a, a nutcase. But when I I watched that, it just felt completely like its own thing. Like it, it, it didn't play by any sort of rules. And it's so rare for a, a film to actually have the the balls to do it. Well, actually, a lot of filmmakers have the balls to do that. It's just nobody really gives them the opportunity to do that. So it was good to see something like that slip through the cracks. And it was just, I found it just completely fascinating. And I just, I just love that it exists. It, like, I, I watch it 
just to be in, like, inspired to make something because it's so rare to have a, a reaction like that to a film. It's a beautiful looking film as well. It was oh, it's shot gorgeous. on film, right? Yeah, for sure. It's a 16 mil. Actually, I think they shot it on um, red and digital and they uh, roughed it up in the edit because it was more cost effective. That's fascinating. You don't hear of many big... Like you hear a lot of kind of student filmmakers doing that, but you don't hear of too many kind of big budget films adding the grain later on. Apparently, they didn't have that much money, which I find even like had little money and even less time to do it, which I find even more exciting. Like just like a that's which I find that exciting about filmmaking is when you're as a crew when you're a crew and you've got limited resources and you all just put your heads together to try and make something. So it's like you're in it you're in it together, you know. So I quite like that that a film like Mandy has that element to it that was like your i can't remember if it was your first one went up but from lingo i remember reading a few interviews with you surrounding that and it sounds like it was like that sort of experience where it was everyone kind of just banding together with limited resources to try and craft something oh yeah well to be fair i was the only crew member on that uh that was one of the toughest things uh for me because it's it's like half an hour long so that it's we had no money all the money was out of my pocket I was working uh, a full-time job and filming on the weekends in like the coldest winter we'd had in like five years and uh, nobody was getting paid and um, it was just me with a camera with two actors in the glue factory in the middle of like a, a snowstorm. It was just absolute nightmare but uh, we managed to make a couple of people faint at the premiere so, <laughs> so, so it was worth it. Getting that visceral reaction, being on the other side of it. Oh yeah, I was totally wasn't expecting it to have that sort of reaction because I mean we've I've travelled with the film to to different like to certain festivals and it's always managed to make at least one person faint. Like in Germany, we had a guy trying to leave during the film, um, and at the moment where somebody's getting their arms sawed off. I feel like the bit in the car door is worse. Yeah, it's, it's that, I, it's I that, always It's the thing that. you can connect to, you know, the thing that's like you can imagine getting your hand slammed in a car door, and it's just oh, over and over. Uh, I thought I think that that doesn't help. I think that, that 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 sort of is like the first sort of stepping block of um, okay, this is making me uncomfortable. It's when you start seeing them sort of gradually self harm with like strange like her. She she uses the matches on her on her skin, just like casually burning herself, and then him with the car door. And then it just kind of slowly builds up to her actually trying to separate his arm from his body. But you don't actually see anything. And that's why I find it even more interesting that people have such a reaction to that third act moment. It's like Psycho though, isn't it? The shower scene, you don't actually see anything, but it's the the way you edit it. And it's the audience kind of impart their own thing onto it. Yeah, I've always felt that that's the best way to go. The less you see, the better. I mean, that's what... If you think about films like Texas Chainsaw Massacre or Alien, you don't see much of anything. It's all suggestion and the power of suggestion, really. Oh, yeah, Blair Witch Project is literally fuck all hams, but fuck me. I was terrified when I saw that when it came out. I think part of what sells it as well in Flamingos is screaming because it's kind of, it's like, um, you know, Tim Roth in Reservoir Dogs. Like that, that kind of like yelp when he's in the back of the car. It's the same sort of thing. It's that scream that's coming from another place, and it just—it's just awful. I know. I remember when we we're filming it. Chris Curran plays the uh, the guy who gets his arm cut off, and he was just—I—I I wasn't. We hadn't re- 
rehearsed it, so I wasn't sure what he was going to do with it. And when he was screaming and it was just like tearing through the glue factory, it was just fucking terrifying. Is that the same place you shot the ninth wave? Uh, I'm only going to hurt you. No, I actually shot that. Uh, I actually shot that in my garage. Really? Yeah. Um, we've got like a we've got like a walled off garage, so it's not like a functional garage anymore. It's just like this concrete room that we use for storage. And I hollowed it out, and it just has this like really interesting sort of industrial look to it. I thought would be quite claustrophobic and interesting to use for the video. It's got like kind of grit and grime about it. Yeah, I don't want to touch that room. I just I love having a, having this horrible. Like we call it the kill room because it looks like that. Have you had you always had that in the back of your mind as a location you wanted to use at some point, or kind of incorporate it into a video? Well, I've used it a couple of times actually. I used it on a fish narc video, and I've shot uh, some of the contravoid video in there. It's like a miniature studio. Like I've got my green screen and all that sort of set up in there, so it's it's quite it's good it's quite handy having it. When did you get a green screen? During lockdown, I did a a music video for Contravoid. Is he's releasing like a live uh live EP of some of these tracks, and he sent me because Contravoid's known for wearing the sort of this like white featureless mask. So he, he mailed it to me. I sort of dressed up like him green screen myself into like 80s footage so it looks like it's channel hopping so it's like an 80s channel hopping video it's kind of darkly satirical so it was just me in, in my garage with a green screen and a mask <laughs> I mean when you get a tool like that and you kind of incorporate it in does that change things a little bit? Did, how does it kind of compare and what did it kind of add to the, the process? I find it, well, it, was, it was difficult because I was actually trying to perform and also trying to manoeuvre the sort of technology. Because, I mean, I'm quite, I'm a bit of a technophobe. I'm, I'm a bit kind of shit with technology. So something as simple as a green screen, I was just like, felt like I was fucking out of my element. <laughs> like, um, I'm a sucker for practical effects and like doing things in camera. That's my, my, my preferred sort of way of working. Um, so it was a, it was a bit strange trying to, Maneuver a, a green screen, something as simple as a green screen. I feel like visual effects are kind of best when you, you know, you add them on on top. They kind of enhance what's there. Yeah, so it's kind of seamless. Was that the same for the the other ninth wave video? This broken design. What how, what was the kind of ratio in that between practical and and visual? Everything was practical. We didn't use any sort of visual effects on that. Um, all the faces that have been removed were. Uh, done by uh, my makeup artist that I regularly work with, Laura McGowan. And it was all prosthetics that she'd built, basically, to cover everyone's um, face with, you know, with like flesh-like prosthetics. So uh, a lot of people couldn't speak or see, and that kind of <laughs> freaked out a bunch of the extras <laughs> that were... Um, the only thing they could do was, like, breathe through their nose, and which there would be, like, extras sitting about with no faces just waiting to waiting to have their like moment in the in the video it was a bizarre bizarre time but yeah everything was done uh, practical how do you feel that affects the atmosphere on set because like what, what you were just describing there wouldn't have happened had it been a visual effect it, i think it's more exciting uh well it, for me anyway i i love to see it happening you know like i love to see it actually ha happening because and i think that uh, that's kind of infectious um, if 
everyone's behind the camera watching it or the person performing is working with a practical effect there's there's more there's more excitement and more drive to get it done because everyone seems to be on the same page and understand what we're trying to do you know um it was the same with satanic panic we the art department which was basically just one guy uh nathan elliott built uh, a chair with this practical mouth that people could climb into and things like that which i feel was better for the actors to actually see a chair opening with a with an actual like puppet style mouth coming out that kind of really i think it really helps a, a a crew a casting crew to to work practically and plus it just looks better i mean as you said it's better if a visual effect is seamless my wife Barry, she's done a lot of um little sort of touch-ups on satanic panic that you wouldn't even know they were there a lot of people don't even didn't realize there was any visual effects in it it's like um do you ever see mad max fury road as well yeah yeah i've seen that there's, there's tons of stuff in that where it's like the desert which is completely barren and they just add in stuff like rocks when it comes to visual effects so a lot of that is done practical but then it like we were saying you, just, you add stuff in there to kind of enhance it and just touch it up a bit and that's the make stuff it a that, more perfect. yeah no i agree with that i think that that's the, the only sort of way that i would work i think i mean I, i'm just i'm just a sucker for it being done practical so i mean I, I just get i turn into like a a big kid just excitedly like seeing all these like weird things that you wouldn't normally see it's part of it being like self-taught as well did you when you started off as a kid making stuff was it kind of were you doing a lot of practical effects and kind of doing that kind of homemade filmmaking thing well yeah i mean i got my first camera when i was like i must have been 11 and all i would do was try and like experiment with cameras um because i didn't have any editing equipment so i would have to we didn't have a desktop we didn't have a computer so i had a camera that that, that it was high high tapes and i didn't have any sort of editing equipment to to cut the tapes so what i would do is edit in camera so a lot of it was shoot a part of this conversation stop change the setup <laughs> continue the rest of the conversation from this angle and then uh, it would just be that and then music would be played with somebody would have to press play on the cd player at the right time for the music to play and it was just one of those things where it was very bitty and i think that kind of ties in with how i work now it's just kind of manic. Comes back to that nostalgia thing as well you mentioned. Like it's kind of, I don't know, maybe part of it comes to trying to recapture that. That excitement of yeah, I think you that, that might be a, you might be onto something with that. When was the first time you got excited with filmmaking, like m- making a piece of work? Probably when I first got a camera. Well, I mean, I don't know. I, I every time it's it's exciting. Just creating something is exciting for me. Like having a project. Like even if it's a music video, like a lot of people ask about the music videos, and if I see them as my own or as just like a client's work, and I'm I I pretty much always when I'm writing a music video concept or directing them, it's always part of my work. I always see it as part of canon. So I, so whenever I'm making anything, I always get excited because that's just it's the only it feels like it's the only thing that i know how to do (laughs) it's weird it's interesting what you said there as well though but feeling like the music videos are canon because a lot of them do very much feel like short films there's one of them as well i think what's the one with the police officer oh it's uh sega bodega um it's the first one i did with him called hopeless 
Yeah, I think it, is it not even at the start of that you see a short film by like Brian Ferguson, like instead of a music video. Oh, it it probably it likely does. I think it, there's something like that at the start. I, like I I love music videos that have a scene at the start or have like like I was playing with it a bit where there was even a a part of the video where the music kind of cuts and you can just hear it distantly in a flat um while there's like a scene ca- being carried out. I, I just like it. I just like trying to make like a a music video more than just a music video, you know. Yeah, kind of playing with the audience's expectations a little bit. Yeah, surprise them, make it more exciting. Do you ever have ideas then, kind of pre-existing that you incorporate into a music video, or is it very much you'll hear the music and it'll sparks, you know, an image within you or something? Uh, it's normally the music. Like if an artist sends the track, I'll just listen to it non-stop like forever (laughs) and then over and over and over and build an idea and then i'll put the concept together and send it off so i I feel it's really important to not use i wouldn't like to shoehorn a pre-existing idea into something I i feel it's really a testament to the track itself to really come up with something original that really fits so you as you listen to maybe each time you listen like another idea is sparked and then it kind of starts to snowball yeah, pretty much. I mean, I've always used music as a sort of springboard for ideas. I get a lot of my ideas from music. I, I always have. So, I mean, being able to do music videos, really, that, that that sort of way of working really lends itself to it. What was the the first image that came to mind when you heard this broken design? Jumping off a building. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. I don't know. Like, that, that one... I can't remember what sparked the idea of a mime jumping off a building over and over. I just, I, I, when I heard it, I, I kept thinking about sort of industrial buildings. I mean, and that sort of led to what would be interesting about a building. And I was like, well, if, when you're on top of it and seeing how high you are. And then I was like, well, and then the sort of fear of heights and being up there and the sort of vertigo of it tied in it. And then it, all the little blocks would fall into place you know and it would just like sort of spi- like spiral from there there is something weird about being up that high like it's like, i don't know well, human beings aren't really supposed to have that kind of perspective are they like no. looking at a straight drop from that well when we were on top of that building there was a was it storm arma or something like that was mm. happening and me and the camera crew were dressed in like human-sized johnny bags it was like a bunch of condoms on top of this stupid big building, we were almost getting blown off. Like it was, it was so difficult to to even like walk on this, on top of this massive high rise, <laughs> and uh, we had to have the actor uh, dressed as the mime standing on the edge of this building, and it was it was just an absolute fucking terrifying nightmare being up there. <laughs> but most of my shoots are like that. I mean, a lot. There's a, some of the stories of the shoots are just fucking crazy. Where about did you film that? We filmed the building was in two different locations. So the interior was shot in this sort of derelict block of flats that was oddly attached to this shopping centre in Canvas Lang. The actual exterior building with us on the roof was shot in this uh, an old college building in Hamilton. Did you have a location scout? Do you go in and do that yourself? How do you kind of find out about these places? Ah, uh, well, you would have we would hunt for them. I mean, my producer at the time, 
Aidan O'Mara. He he was hunting for places. Like, we'd scouted a couple of places, but they wouldn't actually, none of them would let us throw a, a, a dummy off the building. <laughs> um, which, we weren't actually supposed to throw a dummy off the one that we ended up doing, but we, we had to quickly throw it off like seven times from seven different setups and try and retrieve the dummy, get it in the lift, get it sent back up so the security wouldn't see. But <laughs> it's an absolute nightmare. That poor, poor dummy. dummy. <laughs> well, the thing was in bits at the time we finished it. I can it. imagine. <laughs> so that was, you were kind of working with more of a crew on that one as well, weren't you? You had like a producer and... Did you yeah, st- you still direct and edit yourself. Or? Yeah, I still, I still write, direct, edit all, all, all the sort of post production work. I tend to take on with some help with my my DP George Hardwood. But yeah, I had a producer on that one for the first time because uh, it felt like a bigger project, and I wanted to try and make a bigger video to the the previous ones because I, I feel like every video should be bigger, more of a challenge really yeah i mean i guess you're incorporating everything that's come before as well so everything is kind of just a a step forth from that and it kind of expands naturally to a wee extent yeah definitely i mean so you're kind of a bit of a polymath you know when it comes to like producing writing directing editing did you connect with sega Badig in that sense because he kind of does the same thing doesn't he like he runs his label and everything as well as being an artist oh yeah for sure i mean there was like a, there's a mutual sort of understanding of how things work and how much pressure we're under because i mean there'll be i don't know i feel if i'm in a if i'm in a jam where things are a bit of a, an issue or a problem he completely gets it he he because as you said he's like multifaceted he's he does multiple uh, roles so he gets it and my my crews are generally quite tight they're quite small and i use the same people a lot so we don't have usually have a massive crew of people, so people are always sort of doubling up on uh, jobs. So I think there is a connection with that, and I think that's why we've sort of worked quite a lot together. So I've done three videos for him now, and it, we just kind of, just I think he just gets it, you know. How has your working relationship changed with him over the course of those three videos? I don't know. Like the first time, I'd never really spoke or met him uh, when we were when we were doing the hopeless video. I'd only done one music video at the time, which was the Ladytron video, The Island. I was like, well, that was successful. Um, I kind of want to do more of these. So I was well, I was trying to flaunt that video and try and get another music video job at the time. And uh, I saw that Salve was putting out, I think he put a tweet out asking for filmmakers to contact him. And it was just like perfect timing. So I messaged him. He was asking for ideas from different filmmakers because I think the concept was uh, his, his EP that came out he wanted a video for each track on it so he was going to take the best treatments and then let us let us loose to make whatever was in it so I never I never got to meet him really I just just email correspondence at that time but after that he really liked that video and then he reached out for the you suck video and the first time I met him we just sort of clicked and kind of he, he spent a lot of time in Glasgow, you know, so he kind of understands the vibe here and gets, just gets it, man. He's, he's a really good guy. Is he Glaswegian or did he just stay up here? Uh, he just stays up here. He's, I th- I'm fair. I could be wrong. I'm fairly certain he's Irish because he's got a bit of an Irish twang when he speaks, but I don't want to be like assuming, but um, I'm pretty sure he went to school and kind of grew up in Glasgow. But I could be wrong. Yeah, is there kind of a kinship when people come from the same place? Like when you bump into people in in the industry and you're kind of both from 
Scotland or Glasgow? Does it kind of get? Does it lend something to it? Or? I definitely feel that, especially with uh, Scottish people, because I feel like as a as a country, we're quite we can be quite patriotic, and we never really get. Well, considering politics, how we never really get our 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 say. So, as a as a country, and as you meet another Scot, especially in the creative industries, it's like, well, I fuck fuck these cunts. We don't need to to make we can we can make something here, and we don't have to answer to anybody else. You know, I think there is like a an exciting sort of a kinship to that. Yeah, I mean, we're always in that. We're quite a small nation. Like you say, was it like probably six million Scots across the globe total or something? I think so it's, the I same, it's the same anywhere, I guess, isn't it? If you bump into someone on holiday that's Scottish, there's immediately a kind of a bond established. It's, yeah, it's weird. I think it's because only Scottish people can really get a Scottish person. <laughs> it's, just, it's just a weird, just a weird thing. It's like drawn to each other. Has most of your stuff been shot up here? Uh, no, I actually did my first couple of shorts. Uh, I'd made. In the states, I was living in the states on and off in Florida, Florida and Glasgow's like fucking chalk and cheese. How come you moved over to Florida? Uh, I I stayed there because that's where my ex wife was from. So we were living back and forth in uh, Jacksonville, Florida, and Glasgow, pretty much. It must be quite tough going back and forth all the time. It was, but I mean, it's better to be going back and forth to somewhere nice than like. <laughs> You know, at least you get some nice weather out of it. How how is shooting stuff over there different to shooting here? Choice. I mean, there was so much. Everything just looks like it's from a film because we all sort of grew up with American cinema, you know? So it's like you, you turn around and you see like a, an American post box and you're like, oh, fuck, that's like a film. I need to put that in a film. It's like, It just feels like you're you're actually in, oddly in a film when you're in the States. And uh, you just get... And just being in a different environment just inspires a whole bunch of different ideas. Because when you're in Glasgow, you kind of get stuck. When you're at home, you kind of get stuck in the sort of the regular sort of routine of being here and finding ideas isn't as um as 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 quick as it would be if you've got different surroundings. Do you find you consciously then change things up, like what you're saying there? If you you know you go to a completely different place and it sparks all these new creative ideas, will you change things up consciously in your life at various points to try and spark stuff? Not necessarily. I mean, I used to do that when I was when I was a bit younger, but I mean, I don't know. Ideas just come from all different places now. I mean, especially now that I've got sort of a music video career at the moment, like. Everything is really fast and quick, so I mean, I'm I'm always working, so I've never really got the time to sort of sit back and think, oh well, I'm going to focus on this and that. Plus, I've got this feature film that I'm trying to get off the ground, so my all my focus is really on that uh, when I'm not doing music videos. So I'm not really looking to sort of change my surroundings to gain any more ideas. It seems like the rhythm of your workflows changed quite a bit. Then has it? I don't know. I feel. I feel like I've always been. Um, I'm. I'm a quite. I'm a bit of a, a busybody that way. Like I'm always got to be making something. Um, always like I. I, I get. I kind of. I wear myself out a lot, but within like four days after finishing something, I'm like keen to get going on the next thing. So it's just one of those things. Do you remember the first time or the the kind of age you were when you realised that and you you felt this need that you had to be creating things all the time? Well, I always felt. Like well, I wanted to make films ever since I was like when I was four, 
So, I mean, I was always wanting to make stuff from then, but uh, we couldn't really afford a camera or anything like that when I was a kid. So what I would do was I would draw up film posters for film ideas that I had and sort of try and create the marketing for it rather than the film. So I was always creating stuff even as a kid. So, I mean, it's always been a, a thing that, it's always been there. I mean, I, I initially, I remember it was between being a, when I was a kid, it was between being a film director or uh, being a, a cartoonist. So I would always be drawing or drawing up comics or or trying to persuade my folks to sort of shell out some cash for a camera. It's interesting you were into your cartoons. Could I, have you ever done anything with like animation or or working that into a film i actually haven't i mean um i've i've had some animation in one of my shorts uh umbilical glue but that that was a an la based sort of animator that did the sort of titles for that but um i've never thought to sit down and sort of animate something again though i i, I would take live action over animation because i just find it more exciting i guess so i kind of i kind of sort of lost touch with the idea of card being a cartoonist when i was i don't know i was still in single digits at that time i guess it's difficult as well you know we were speaking at the start about the reaction flamingo got in terms of you know people fainting in the cinemas and that idea of visceral cinema you don't really get that quite as much with animation in the same way i agree with that i mean I feel like live action can probably give you more of a sucker punch than a, than a... I think it's probably easier to relate physically and more viscerally to um, something that's happening to a person than like a talking dog, you know? <laughs> you don't see enough talking dog films these days. That's true. We should get more talking dog films going. In fact, you know what? That My new career path, talking dogs. <laughs> Visceral like talking the, dogs. I like the idea of a Glaswegian talking dog film <laughs> i'm on it with a really a really harsh accent <laughs> i'm on it alex i'm gonna do it when i mean when you were growing up and stuff were you quite into like exploitation cinema were you looking for something that was going to kind of provoke a reaction once you kind of start to move away from animation and focus more on the cinema side of things not necessarily i just wanted to make films um i mean when i started to get into my teens i started getting really heavily into horror films at the time um and just wanted to be the next sam raimi make the next evil dead too you know I, i've never I, I wasn't oh well to be fair when i was in college i kind of i went through a period of being obsessed with chris morris and brass eye and charlie brooker's early stuff and one of my college projects was I wrote a script for a short film about a a morgue attendant who was uh, sexually obsessed with this child murderer, uh, and the <laughs> the um the college the the head of the department was freaked out and just said we can't make this and I was like but it's a comedy and they were just, <laughs> and they were just like no it's too it's too it's it's no funny, and I, the, your lead character is disgusting. He's despicable, and I went, "I but that's what's funny about it." <laughs> so it's just one of the things. But I, I did have a time where it was like that. But my sense of humour is it can be quite dark at times, which I feel can come through in the work. Uh, but I'm never ever intentionally trying to provoke a reaction. It just sometimes accidentally happens. I quite like 
you're speaking about the sense of humor. I like the idea of a sense of humor being if you look at it from a certain angle, it's completely tragic and disgusting. <laughs> and if you look at it from the other angle, it's hilarious. That's exactly my sense of humor. Uh, the, the, the sort of things that uh, people find sad and tragic. I'll find it funny that they find it sad and tragic, so then they become the joke. <laughs> <In a way. laughs> just, just this absolute sick bastard at times. Do you get quite surprised by audience reactions sometimes to your film then? Are you ever kind of maybe having a wee chuckle on the audience is sitting there stony-faced, absolutely terrified by something that's going on? Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, it was... I, I mean... <laughs> It was hard to keep a straight face. We were in, uh, we took Flamingo to Germany, and it was playing at a festival there. And uh, the the guy was trying to leave, and in the middle of the the amputation scene, and he was trying to leave. But this did on the way out, you'd had that he has to walk in front of the the audience to get to the the exit. He lost consciousness and fell through one of the front speakers. Ooh. and it kind of it stopped they had to stop the film and there was like a loud sort of like noise and it was just kind of they had people running out and trying to grab him and remove him and uh, I was concerned for the guy but at the same time it was one of the funniest things I've ever seen <laughs> because it was just so ludicrous it was just like how could this happen from something something daft that I made in the, the fucking a factory in, in town in Glasgow do you notice anything different about that film when you saw it on the big screen? Like, j- just in terms of watching it? Sound. Uh, I would always ask them to crank up the sound and also um, I would ask them to put the temperature up in the room. I really wanted it to be a stressful environment. Because um, I remember we did, we were playing, it premiered via the, the Skinny were presenting it at the Glasgow Short Film Festival and it was playing at the CCA for the first time. And... Uh, there was a couple of films through this that were made through the skinny shown before it, which were nowhere near the same tone <laughs> as Flamingo, <laughs> and uh, I don't think they were prepared for this like half hour dread filled sort of stress box of a film, and uh, I was supposed to do a Q and A, and then all we saw was like two people dropping and just lying there, and then the house lights came on, and I wasn't sure what was happening, and then the skinny were telling me to leave and get out. And then there was people running from the bar and the CCA to the room to do CPR or whatever, I don't know, something like that. And then my pal's girlfriend at the time was uh, was training as a doctor and they stayed behind to help people. And I'm standing at the bar going, fuck me, I just killed two people. Amazing. <laughs> How much sleep did you get working on that film? Absolutely none. I mean, I, I, I barely sleep anyway. I'm, I'm, I, my brain's always over like always going so i i usually survive on like four hours sleep generally uh but making that i mean i i was i mean i've only just sort of gotten to a stage now where i don't need to work two jobs so i, I i've been working a full-time job during the majority of everything that i've made to be fair so i would try and i would go to work Nine to five during the week, and then I would uh, in the in the night hours I would work on prep for a music video or a short film, and then on the weekend that was when I would slot in uh, filming the stuff, and then the uh, during the nights after work I would try and cut everything. So it, it it takes its toll on you, but it's something that I'm used to doing. Do you find you struggle with four hours sleep, or do you get used to it? Because that's something fun if I get if I'm busy and the time flies by, you don't really notice the fact that you're exhausted. You're just kind of working on stuff and it, you kind of function. 
Yeah, I feel like it's it's something you can train your body to do. And also drinking like fucking gallons of coffee helps as well. Although I've got lots of like nervous energy, so I'm always like I, I talk with my I'm I'm part Italian, so I talk with my hands a lot. So right, right now my hands are swinging like a fucking mad bastard. But I'm, I usually I usually drink like gallons of strong coffee as well. So I'm a bit of like I'm like jumping off the walls all the time. You can you you do your body just kind of gets used to how you treat it. So <laughs> treat it like shit. <laughs> Do not Ricky Gervais. He says he treats his body like an old car. That's uh, pretty, pretty much it. How how do you channel that nervous energy on set? Is it something that kind of comes into play there? Oddly, I'm. That's the only place where I'm calm. <laughs> like it could be the most stressful environment, but it, it's because it's we've only got one shot at it. That and I'm really prepared for it, um. So everything kind of runs smooth. Plus, I need to have my director's head on because when you're leading uh, a crew of people, the last thing you want is somebody fucking manically running about, jumping off the walls. You know? Yeah, I think on set, the only time that that sort of energy comes out uh, is when I'm really excited by what we're doing, which is. Often, as you as we were talking about the practical effects, that often like sparks that, and I feel that it's infectious, and people get really involved and excited, especially because it's a small crew and we're all banding together as as a team to try and get this thing made. It becomes it gets to that point where you're on hour ten of the of day one. You are all just like, we need to fucking get this done, man. <laughs> we need to get this done before one of us fucking dies. What's your typical kind of shooting day, hours-wise? Oh, fuck. I think we've... Often, it can be up to 18 hours. We'll, we'll, we'll do 18-hour days. It jammed into two days. So, uh, I remember we did the first the first music video I uh, ever did was the Ladytron one, and we shot it over four days, and uh, each of those days were, like, fucking 10-hour days. And Is it that was the one few... with the car crash? No, it's the one where uh, there's, like, a... A humanoid sort of escapes from a facility and being tracked down, and then they uh-huh. they ultimately set her on fire at the end. It's like a, I'm surprised Ladytron even let me make it because it's fucking like they approached like Helen uh, Helen Marnie from Ladytron approached me to do a video for them and I'd never done a music video. The only thing I'd done was my wee my weird wee short films about fucking people fantasising about belly buttons and cutting their arms off. So I was like, why the fuck does Ladytron want me to make a video for them? And then uh, <laughs> I, get, I was like, well, fuck it. I'll, here's an opportunity. Go big or go home. So I wrote this fucking bizarre, insanely dark video. Helen was all about it. They were just loving it. And I, I'm surprised that they, they stuck by it. They loved it because it, it got quite a... Uh, a reaction out of the fan base for it having such a visceral ending. A lot of people seem to really are really affected by it, or disturbed by it, or just fucking really like it because of that. It's I think it was probably a great idea that we found each other because they had that sort of hiatus for a while, and then they came back, and then this video was a bit of a punch to the 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 fan base like a kick up the arse like here we're back you know yeah you want someone that's gonna ship yeah exactly i mean if you're 
you said it was two 18 hour days well the, the ladytron one was four four 18 hour days four up to 18 hour days the fish we did a fish art video in a hospital set and that that was like an 18 hour day and it was absolutely fucking insane it was just before the the lockdown and all that sort of stuff came in so like tensions were kind of high at the time and fish snark had flew out from new york to shoot the videos here and the whole thing was just crazy but yeah we, we often like jam pack 18 hour days how did you initially connect with him because he's washington based right i think he's from seattle but he he stays in he stays in new york now his management reached out because uh, he had seen the boy harsher video that i'd done and he he, he was adamant about working with me so they decided to fly him out from New York to shoot two videos here back to back, purely on the, uh, purely on the fact that I'd done the the boy harsher video. How how does that change your approach when you know you're doing two back to back? Are you looking at ways you're kind of going to connect them a little bit stylistically and kind of keep a cohesive tone, or do you still view them very much as individual separate projects? Uh, individual. I don't feel comfortable putting two videos together like. I don't. I don't like any sort of connective tissue to this to the narrative. If there is one, um, I I really feel like every song has its own vibe, and I feel like uh, it's important for the video to sort of have that. Like the visual component needs to have its own element to fit its its own aesthetic to fit that that sort of sound. I mean, when it comes to music videos, do you tend to find them more driven by? images like the the visual side of it or the narrative the kind of underlying you know current that runs through because of my background is f- uh, f- narrative film i i often go that route it's something i can't help so as soon as i get an idea it's it, it's often quite a linear idea more of a narrative than it is uh, abstract images although I'm, I'm trying to sort of experiment with that with some with some things that might be coming up so we'll see i mean the music videos as well they're quite stripped down narratives like that you kind of have quite a basic structure going through the middle of it which you then kind of build around i mean like if you think of the ninth wave video again for example that's just a guy throwing himself off a building again and again and there's obviously things that kind of tie into that but it's quite a simple narrative that runs through the core why why do you think it is why what what is that attraction to kind of simple narratives when it comes to a music video i don't know i think um it's easy to overcomplicate things and if you keep it simple then the viewer is going to watch it to the end see if you keep it simple but interesting you're going to hold their attention more because the way we are is as now with our phones and you know we're scrolling through endless scrolls through twitter or or whatever um it's hard to to keep people's attention now because there's so much going on. So I feel like if somebody's going to sit down and watch a video, keep it simple, make it really interesting and make it look really fucking good. And I, I think overcomplicating a music video can, um, I don't know, I feel like it can damage it and also take away from the track itself because I really want the video to be uh, like champion the track rather than, you know, take over from it. I mean, it's quite. It comes back to the Walt Disco videos as well. Both of them are quite quick cutting, and they move at a pace. Again, because I think those songs are only like two and a half minutes long each, aren't they? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. So you've not got too much time. You've kind of got to pack quite a lot into the the runtime. Yeah, I mean, well, they when when they'd filmed all their stuff, they did filmed more than enough. I think the first the first video when they sent all their footage over, um, there there wasn't enough of it. 
because it was their first sort of go around at it. So there was it was it was a bit trickier to try and construct something from that and make it uh, fast and 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 exciting, even for like a short uh, sort of runtime on the track. With the second one, the uh, they they went more out words of like they they wanted to create more of a narrative and I think their first attempt they really grew on that and and decided like okay we need to make sure we get this I it, it was exciting to see all these people that had done a video in their in their flat for a laugh like actually think something out and plan it out and it, I thought that was really exciting to see them do that and it was uh, a pleasure uh, constructing it for them can you feed off that energy like that kind of creative momentum that they kind of had going from one video to the next I'm not really sure. I mean, I was really, I, I was, I was quite separate from the band. I've never really engaged with the band. I normally speak with uh, Walt Disco's manager Hamish. It's very rare that I've actually spoken to any of the band. I felt a bit of like an outsider, really, in like just constructing it for them than I was as as actually part of the. I was much preferred to have been part of the film, you know, making it and and shooting it and doing like something that I would have wanted to do for them but um yeah it's not when you're editing it's quite a an isolated part of the uh of the process how does the energy in the editing room compare to the energy on set so much more calm um like I, it's my favorite part because there's nobody around and i don't have to deal with anybody <laughs> editing is just me the the monitor and and reliving the excitement of being on set and then you're like, like a lot of people don't realise that when we're shooting it, it's like all, all you guys are finished now when we're on, on the last day of shooting. So it's like we've got a two day shoot, we're finished, everyone's away saying bye and uh, celebrating that we'd shot it. And then I'm sitting there thinking, well, I'm going to have to look at all yous for another fucking three weeks endlessly, <laughs> try to piece it all together and I'll be loving this thing for, for, for ages. Maybe I'm a masochist in that way, where I just I just love dealing with it and just like having that there. Like, I actually hate finishing an edit, and and it's been ready. I could just fucking cont- edit the thing over and over and over because I just love the process so much. But like, don't get me wrong, I love actually being on set and making stuff. But it's making something. It's it's fucking it's it's hard work. It's a lot of work. It's a lot of hours, and it's just absolutely draining so to wake up and then just stumble into my office and just turn, boot up the computer and uh, look like a slob and just edit it's the best it's the best way are you more in control when you're in the editing room i guess the chaos is a little bit tone uh, chaos is pretty much absent no no i mean uh, don't get me wrong there was chaos when i was doing the first couple of sh- videos because i was working with a crew for the first time and i'd never really worked with a crew and I, i'd never really worked with a cinematographer I'd done all my own up until that point and then when we did the first Sega video we were uh, we were filming in this fucking this flat uh, it was notorious for uh, after parties and all that and it we had extras that were to pretend to be partying and we'd blacked out the windows but it was like one in the, the afternoon but they all actually got steaming and started getting <laughs> fucked and uh, <laughs> I mean, there's a lot of crazy shit going on in that video. Yeah, well, all of it is real. So it's like me, the DP, uh, my wife was a runner on it, and uh, Ross Elliott, 
was the so there's basically four of us and people actually shagging and fucking getting drug orders in and getting fucking fucked after tits and steaming and it was just absolute fucking mayhem. I was asking if we, I wanted to put the words "deaf fuck" on the wall. And I was like, "Is is there like something I can put up on the wall that we can clean off?" And they were just like, "Nah, fuck it, we'll do it." And then they just started like scrolling "deaf fuck" and black letters all over this. And apparently, that's still there. People go to that flat for after parties, and that <laughs> "deaf fuck" still scraped into the wall. Whose flat is this? Uh, it was just, it was through um, an art collective, I uh, can't remember, which is really annoying, but um, I got it through, oh, Where People Sleep is the art collective, and uh, we, they they usually do sort of e- exhibitions in this flat space, but they actually live there. What was great about it was they were able to help with the location and also outsource their friends to show up and there was supposed to be so many more extras but because it was a Saturday and everybody was out Friday night and nobody really showed up <laughs> so <laughs> we had to get uh we, we got we got as many as we could and then just tried to like cheat it but the the people that did show up ended up because because it's a long long day long day of shooting and we were like uh, belting out music and using these sort of industrial strobe lights that were like burning their retinas and like fog machines and all that and uh, it got a bit intense to the point where I think they were just like well fuck this let's just have a party and then it, they were all just gone nuts while we were in the middle of it trying to film as much as we could it gets less intense for them but far more intense for you oh no, it was it was chaos I mean we I'd, I, there's people I've worked with before that that showed up to be in it to do like a simulated sort of sex because it's maybe a sex party like it's made to descend into that and uh, instead of it being simulated they just ended up the guy just chomped on hunters of viagra and then ended up they were actually shagging and we were just like the guy was like how's this position and i'm just fucking like fuck knows man uh, well, i can't believe that it's actually they're actually shagging and uh, i'm looking around at uh, like, uh, my dp george and uh, the first AC Ross and they're just like nervous standing in the corner positioning the camera trying not to look at it and, and it's just fucking mayhem it was one of the craziest shoots what else is up there? the The first Ladytron was absolute chaos because we were using pyrotechnics without any sort of supervision so we had a lot of flamethrower and all that and um, we were, uh, my wife stars in it and she plays the humanoid, so she like shaved her head and her and and was basically put through the ringer, man, on that as much as all of us. And it was just multiple locations. Like we we packed so much into that, it was crazy. I mean, we were illegally flying drones in the middle of the city centre on a Friday night in this alleyway, around the corner from Central Station, and it was just like cars zipping up it and neds everywhere and just police presence and just try to grab these shots dead quick it was like a, a a running gun type thing we got pulled up by the by the police numerous times on the first few videos to be fair like i think they started they started to know who i was because uh, we were filming a bit a fake fight scene in the first sega video in the alleyway and uh, this police van comes fucking shooting down the alleyway you know how there's like a grid system in glasgow so yeah. It was just this fucking police fan for far away just 
gunned it down towards us. The George, the DP, takes out all the sort of memory cards of the camera in case they get confiscated. Like that's like the <laughs> so we can keep them. And uh, they were just like, they said there was a fight down here. Guy getting his head kicked in half of five guys, and we're just standing there. And then all I hear in the scanner is, uh, ask if that's uh, if Brian Ferguson's there. Uh, <laughs> is there an unmarked? Is, is do they have a? An unmarked police car there. Are they? Because we were told. I, I tried to get permission off the police to use like a police car and stuff like that, but they were very. Uh, the budget was very minimal on that, and they wanted like a shit ton of cash for police presence and stuff like that. So we had to trick it a lot, and uh, they were trying to like. They were trying to uh, find me on the frame, on the on the shit in the town to see if I I was just doing it anyway. Thankfully, I've been, caught in the, I've been caught in the same thing before where you get in touch with the police to try and get permission, realise it's just going to be a waste of time and it's going to be so much kind of yellow tape and then they f- try and come and find you anyway because they know you're going to be out shit. That's it, that's it. So we were just like trying to hide the police outfit and all that and just kick it under a, a bag that we had and, and the guys were fine. Like the guy, the guy, They started getting pictures with a guy that was covered in blood and putting it on the police Snapchat and all that. The police have got a Snapchat. I apparently they've got a group chat. <laughs> I don't know. They were taking photos <laughs> of the guy covered in blood. Has what excites you, uh, you know, creatively as you've gotten older? Has that evolved? Not really. I mean, I, I'm, I'm a bit of yeah, a big kid in that way. Like every every aspect of making something really excites me. So I mean, I've always it's been in a, a position now where work comes regularly. It excites me because that means I'm able to do the stuff that I love doing more. Uh, I mean, there's nothing worse than when you're desperate to make something and you don't have the resources and there's nobody really knows who you are yet and no never, no, no giving you a chance. I mean, I, I was so lucky when Ladytron had reached out to me. That was such a, like, a, it was a, a, a wee break for me at that time. And I, I'm, I, I feel like just having the opportunity to make stuff and, and work with really, like, really great artists that are, that are pretty established and having the honour of putting a visual component towards like something great that they've made is just really exciting in, in itself. Hold up, what was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. 
Sign up with Code Program for a four-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code Program.